1: Today, we're going to continue our discussion about how marketing strategies change around the globe. Joining us is Mike Maynard, who is the owner of the Napier Group, which is a PR-led full service marketing agency that specializes in the B2B technology sector. They work closely with their clients to build campaigns, focusing on achieving results that have a significant positive impact on their business, and above all else, ensuring that they return a maximum ROI. But yesterday, Mike and I talked about some of the challenges of content marketing and regulations across borders. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about launching or extending your brand into new countries. Okay, here's the rest of my conversation with Mike Maynard, owner of the Napier Group. Mike, welcome back to the Martech podcast. Thanks, Ben. Great to have you back here. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about some of the challenges of marketing in Europe. Specifically, you're based in London, how there are both regulations and differences in culture that make it different and potentially difficult to market across borders. Obviously, if you're looking for expansion, going international is a way that you can extend your products, your services. And if you're launching a new brand, you could think about launching in multiple countries let's walk through what you think the right strategy is when you're thinking about extending your business outside of your current territory into new markets. What's the playbook for launching a new product line in a new country?
2: Well, it's a great question, Ben, because we not only help clients launch in new countries, but obviously as an agency, we're also looking to expand our business. We work with clients from across Europe as well as clients in the States, and also we have clients over in the Far East. So The real challenge, first of all, is to understand where your biggest opportunity is. The truth is, is that launching internationally is quite time-consuming, can be quite expensive. So you really want to focus your effort on where the opportunity is. And understanding that from your product or service, to me, is the first challenge. There's some ways you can do that in terms of research, but a lot of it depends on you understanding who your customers are and then being able to identify in which countries they exist.
1: Let's use a case study or a hypothetical. Let's say I'm running a B2B SaaS business focused on helping corporate executives move from an executive role to a consulting practice. And it's available here in the United States. And I'm thinking about launching in Europe. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how you'd think about positioning that product and what are the markets that I should select?
2: So, that's a great idea in terms of launching that internationally, because obviously a lot of countries have executives that are then looking to make that transition into consulting. I think the first thing you really need to think about is language. So, even if you're working with executives who have good English as a second language, it's still going to be harder to sell to countries where the primary language is not English. So, to me, one of the first challenges with a SaaS business is always about whether you're going to localize with local language or whether you're going to launch just in English. That doesn't rule out international launch to, for example, Germany or Spain or France, but it means you need to think slightly differently about how you approach that.
1: So it seems like the first thing that you're thinking about is the language. You don't have to worry about translation. When you're thinking about isolating who your target market is, How do you look at sort of the differences? We're in this example trying to target executives, let's just say they're marketing executives. How do you figure out where those people are? How do you cultivate and segment your target market?
2: That's a really interesting problem to approach because there's a couple of ways you can do this. I mean, one is to look at the size of the marketing industry. And certainly there is data around, for example, on the size of the PR industry from PR bodies that will give you a very good indication of how many executives there were for you to target in each country. So you can do some desk research there. You can also actually proactively go out and do some primary research. LinkedIn is always your friend in terms of understanding individuals within countries. And although there is somewhat of a difference in terms of use of LinkedIn, It's become a pretty global platform. Certainly outside of China, it's become a pretty global platform. And it's really something you can use to look and see, well, how many people are there that would fit my ideal persona?
1: Okay. So let's say we have a SaaS product that helps marketing executives transition from their executive roles to running a consulting business. And we realize that we want to target English language that puts us in the UK, in Ireland, in Australia. And we do our research and we realize that there is a center of marketing executive excellence in France and Spain. Mm -hmm. What do we do next? How do you actually think about extending the product to address those markets?
2: So there we've got an interesting challenge. And I think immediately you need to decide whether you're going to target basically international managers in France and Spain or not. Because one of the interesting things about Europe is there's a huge amount of international marketing activity. And so it may be that although France has the center of excellence for marketing, and normally the primary language is French, actually most of those marketers are marketers looking across Europe or across the globe and therefore English becomes the key language. So again, it comes down to research and understanding, and this is the same with any products. It's really understanding what's important. It could be that in France, for example, which is traditionally a country that's had relatively high rates of employment versus self-employment, actually entering with a service that is overtly American in terms of brand origin, actually has more credibility than entering with a service that tries to appear French. So One of the things I do think is important is understanding this concept of brand origin and whether actually feeling like you come in from outside of the country can sometimes be a good thing. This wouldn't just apply to consulting. I mean, for example, you're based in Silicon Valley, Ben, and obviously there's a lot of companies that want to feel like a Silicon Valley company because of the inherent feeling of technology leadership that's associated with that.
1: Okay. So let's say that we decide that we want to sound like an American company, but we do feel like we have to translate into French and Spanish. We're translating our product. We'll hire some translators that are in the local market. We're also going to get someone that is Australian and someone that's from the UK to look through our English copy. We now have our product copy. Do we just take our marketing campaigns and roll them over? We have our Facebook ads and our social media and our PR efforts. How do we actually extend the marketing efforts into the new countries?
2: I'm glad you've said you're going to translate in-country. I mean, that's very important. As you look to roll campaigns out, I think there's a real danger of assuming that everything is different just because, for example, the language is different or the fact that us Brits play cricket and you know we call soccer football. But actually, I think generally speaking, starting with a proven campaign is absolutely the best way to start. So if you've got a campaign you know works well in one country, then you shouldn't be looking for reasons to change it. You should be looking for reasons to keep it the same. And to me, it's really about finding the small tweaks that make a big difference rather than trying to throw it out and start again. So it's very much incremental improvement I'd be after.
1: So talk to me about some of the mechanics of actually running the campaigns across borders. We talked about regulations yesterday with GDPR, obviously data, privacy. We're going to take our American-created campaigns in this example, and we're going to publish them in France, and we're going to hope they resonate. We'll have somebody look at them. But it's not as simple as just saying, Facebook, you know, great, I'm going to turn on my campaigns and I'm going to collect all this data in my CRM. We're going to have some problems in terms of privacy, aren't we?
2: Sure. You need to be aware of the regulations. So if you look in Europe, we have GDPR, which fundamentally says that people have to have some degree of consent for you to use their data. Actually, because there is an exception for legitimate interest, you don't have to have explicit opt-ins. You don't have to have people ticking boxes in some campaigns. But understanding how you can approach a campaign, remain compliant with the law, but not do crazy things that then means you're never going to generate a lead. Because you put so many steps in the way, is very difficult. And the interesting thing is that in Europe, we have one law of GDPR that's actually interpreted slightly differently in different countries.
1: A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So tell me a little bit about what that is.
2: GDPR basically says that people should give consent before their data is processed. Now, that's very interesting because if I sign up, for example, for a newsletter, it's pretty obvious that I'm signing up and giving consent to be sent emails on a regular basis. So there's no need there necessarily to have a, I consent to my data being processed. Some people do choose to do that. But if, for example, you're signing up to download a white paper or some information, then arguably then, If you're going to add that individual to your marketing, you really should make sure they're happy for you to do it. Now, of course, the argument is, is that if you're asking for consent, if someone gives consent, they're actually really interested, they're keen to hear from you, and they'll probably be a much higher value lead than someone who, frankly, is going to opt out at the first opportunity, which would be the people who aren't choosing to tick the box to say, send me information.
1: I think the thing that concerns me about going through this process of internationalization, is it creates so much extra work. When you're thinking about running a marketing campaign, it's simple when you have one message and one market, and now all of a sudden we're essentially vetting our English language content for cultural fit. We're now producing content in two different languages, and we're running campaigns, what I assume would be in multiple different systems. How do you think about work consolidation? Or you know, Are you able to just use the existing systems and infrastructure you already created Created, or are you really just creating 4x the amount of work by working in 4x the amount of markets?
2: Well, the truth is, is it can be hard work. And that, for me, is not a bad thing, because obviously that's one of the reasons why people come to Napier and choose us to help them out. There are some things you can do to gain economies of scale. So, for example, if you're using paid social, whether that be LinkedIn or Facebook ads, you absolutely can run a lot of those campaigns centrally. If you're looking to do other things, for example, if you're looking to target publications, it can get very difficult. I mean, we have one client where I think we get invoiced from something like 80 different publishers for their European campaign in about eight or nine different currencies as well. And that's with the euro that's supposed to make it easy. So
1: you have some payment processing issues. It sounds like the platforms you're able to use are relatively consolidated. Talk to me about how you're analyzing the performance of each market. Are you using the same KPIs for each campaign? Are you evaluating the performance of a market the same way?
2: That is actually one of the things I think is really important. You can with some platforms, so particularly, as I say, the social platforms, you can absolutely build campaigns centrally. But to then expect the same KPIs and particularly for campaigns to hit the same metrics isn't going to happen from country to country. So if you look at a lot of European countries, the response rate is lower than the States for um, a lot of marketing activities. And that's partly due to sort of this European reticence to share data. So lead generation can actually be quite difficult. And we see a lot of clients, for example, running email marketing campaigns where they'll get very different results from country to country. Not because the campaign's better or worse in each country, but primarily because individual engineers in different countries are more willing or less willing to share their data.
1: Interesting. So, at the end of the day, when you're evaluating what countries you should be expanding into, how do you know what are the countries where you're going to see positive performance? And how do you vet the efficacy of your marketing? It seems like that's a big risk of saying, hey, we're going to go into France and Spain because there is a cluster of marketing executives with the example that we used before. But as it turns out, the conversion rates are terrible in that market. How do you validate those conversion rates before you spend all the time to internationalize your product?
2: You just can't. It's not always possible to know how successful any product will be in any one different country. So I think you've got to do all the research. You've got to lay the plans. You've got to understand what customer acquisition costs, for example, in your SaaS business, you could afford to remain profitable. And you've got to accept that actually that CAC will vary from country to country. And some countries may be more profitable than others. But the key is to make sure you focus your efforts on the countries where you can make more money. And I think interestingly, what I hear more from my European clients is that America is the toughest market to crack rather than it being a market where perhaps the language is different or, you know, the culture is very different. Actually, it seems like it's not just Europe being different from America, but also Europeans find America pretty tough to enter too.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it works both ways, and I'm sure it works multiple different ways. It's not just a binary US and the rest of the world, but think about entering the Chinese market, obviously going to be incredibly challenging, multiple different languages, currencies, culture. Is there a way to mitigate some of the risk when you're thinking about launching into a new market? Do you test your marketing channels without the product actually being there to understand what your response rates are? Can you do a soft version of translation and mitigate some of the costs? What are some of the ways to understand whether your new market is going to be successful before you invest time, capital, and resources into internationalizing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good approach is to think about minimizing the investment required to actually go and do the initial tests. So in your example of the SaaS company, absolutely, you know, some of the things they would probably be thinking about is, can we do a test launch without any translation? So the executives that we'd be targeting, there'd be a percentage of those that'd be happy to interact with a platform in English. Is that enough to give us useful test results? So it's finding those ways to cut the launch cost is very important. Typically, when you've got a physical product, people will enter a market using distributors or resellers. And that's a very classic way to minimize the cost because you can then start building a customer base with minimal investment. And that will allow you to then gain the momentum that will then fund ultimately a much bigger push into that market. So I think there's lots of ways you can actually reduce the risk by going in small, conducting trials, and then once you see that things are working, starting to scale up. Um, And certainly digital marketing makes that very easy to do.
1: I think that's an important part to understand that there are potentially established companies in other markets that you can partner with. And it's not just about extending your existing product and having to rebuild everything and remarket and understand the culture. But there are firms and services that are specialized in international marketing, like the Napier Group, for example, in the B2B tech center. And there's also other companies that you can partner with to try to use your services as a product extension of their existing brand. At the end of the day, internationalization creates a huge opportunity when you're looking to develop, extend, scale, but it also comes with a certain amount of uncertainty, risk, and obviously it can be very capital intensive. Mike, I appreciate you walking us through some of the challenges and workarounds for thinking about internationalization. Thanks for being our guest. Thanks, Ted. Okay. And that wraps up this episode of the Martech podcast. Thanks to Mike Maynard, owner of the Napier group for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Mike, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You could send him a tweet. His handle is Mike underscore Maynard. That's M I K E underscore M A Y N A R D, where you could visit his company's website, which is napierb2b.com, napierb B the number two b.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. That's M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes, the contact information for our guests. You can skim through our content archive, sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can even send us a topic suggestion or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, basically everywhere, or you can just reach out to me directly. My handle is Ben J. -J Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning.